This is a re-recording by Steve, but let me read to you the passage on which his sermon is based. It's 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11-25. to 25. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to command those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You do you. It's a phrase that you may have heard. It's a phrase that's often used in our society today. It affects the way people choose to raise their children. Hey, child, you do you. It's a mantra among friends affecting the way we interact with one another. You do you. It's a guiding principle for when something or someone is worth sticking with and when it's time to give up and move on. You do you, I'm a do me. It's become an accepted but often unspoken authority in the workplace, the schools, social circles. UDU is used in lots of different ways to express the same clear message. You are most important. You should make the choices that make the most sense to you. You are free to express yourself, free to define yourself however you choose. You are exactly right to do what you want, when you want, just simply because you want, in order to get what you want. You do you. You do you assumes two things. It assumes firstly that you know exactly who you are, and secondly, that you know what's best for you. You are the ultimate authority in your life. And this flies in the face of our passage today, as we start to explore our freedom as exiles to submit. We're moving into a section of 1 Peter that unpacks what we've learned about our identity as individual Christians and corporately as the church and applies it practically into how we live as exiles today, particularly in the context of how we are to submit to authority. So in a world that declares you do you, as a Christian, you will need to wage the war and do good, embrace your freedom to submit, 
and follow in his steps. Let's start by reminding ourselves of our true identity as Christians. I've created an identity statement paraphrased from various bits of 1 Peter so far. You are a chosen and hope-filled child of God. You belong to him. You have been set apart for him. You have received great mercy and are walking in his light through a dark world, declaring his praises and doing good on your journey home to him. It's good, hey? So with that good stuff ringing in our ears and warming up our hearts, let's dive into verses 11 and 12 as we consider what it means to wage war and do good. Open your Bibles and look with me. Verse 11. Dear friends, it's a warm tone. Friends could be translated beloved here. Beloved, I urge you. It's not just a call or an instruction. There's urgency here. It needs to happen. It needs to happen now. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, because you don't belong, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Peter reminds these exiles urgently and lovingly that there is a war going on. It's not a war for their souls. That victory has been won. Once and for all, when Christ died and rose again, when they were reborn in the spirit of God and made alive, the war for their souls was won. And if you're a Christian today, it's the same for you. The war for your soul is won. You have moved from darkness to light, death to life. So remember who you are. You are a chosen, hope-filled child of God. You belong to him. You've been set apart for him. You have received great mercy and are walking in his light through this dark world, declaring his praises and doing good on a journey home to him. But there is a war going on and it is a war against your soul. Perhaps as you think about this, you think about the world around you. The news, the media, perhaps broken relationships, injustice, poverty, fear and anxiety, sadness and tears, sickness and pain. And you say, yeah, I feel that war. I feel bombarded and beaten and bruised by the badness. And I agree with you. I feel those things too. But those are merely the impact of the war that Peter is alerting us to here. It's a war about lordship. We are lovingly urged to abstain from sinful desires. That's the war that's waging. It's the same war that began in the garden. The same war that has been fought across the pages of the Bible and that wages within you every day. It's a war about lordship, control, and ultimately authority. Day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. The voices of our culture, you be you, and the whispers of the evil one are bombarding us to drop Jesus as Lord, move away from your chosen status, lay down your set-apartness, forget the special possessionness of the father, child, and fall back, back into former behaviour, the same behaviour that saturates the culture, back into darkness, not light. It's a war that's fought in our choices, in the choice of how we spend our time, where we direct our energy, what we dedicate our life to. It's a war that's fought in the tension between who the world says I am and who God says I am. It's a war that's fought in the desires that tell us to fit in, 
progress, have more, be accepted. It's a war between momentary pleasure and lasting joy. In our life group recently, someone shared, it feels very much that there are lots of channels blaring all the time, and it's a constant battle to turn them down so that one voice is heard above the others. That's the battle we're in, tuning into the Father. So how do we fight this battle? Well, let's remember what Peter says in chapter 1, verse 5. He says, it's God's power that shields us. We are kept and guarded, shielded through faith by God's power. If you think that practical strategies in your own strength will be enough, you are wrong. Yes, even you, the strongest, smartest, most holy of you, you will fail without the power of God at work in you and through you and for you. So as we face these practical choices every day, Peter offers us a simple self-balancing strategy. Choose to reject sinful desires and choose to do good. Rejecting sin looks like actively noticing and turning away from the things that make us lose sight of Jesus as Lord. It means holding on to our identity as Christians and preaching that good news to ourselves and each other every day. It looks like coming to God in repentance, remembering his grace daily. We can't blend into the culture because we're fundamentally different. We are exiles. This world is not our home. We don't belong here. The more we camouflage into the world around us, the more we need to be reminded of Jesus's kingship in our lives and who we are in him. As we hold on tightly to our identity in Jesus and with the spirit's help, we will actively notice the war that we are in and watch out for the desires that are contrary to our calling, those things that are harmful for us. So it can't be a let go and let God sanctification. Sometimes we can kid ourselves into believing that we can accommodate the culture. We can partake in it because God's power shields me and there's grace for me. But Paul asks in Romans, should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? See, there's a personal responsibility here. You'll never achieve it in your own strength, but you must actively abstain. I love a clifftop coastal view. I love to stand up high and look out to the sea. I love the way it makes me feel small. I love the fresh air in my lungs. However, I do not love it when my kids are with me. I become fearful and anxious because, you know, kids, they run, they jump, and they play, often too close to the edge. I have to look away. Sometimes they go and they hang their legs over the edge and kick them around and they look at me and they smile. Sometimes they pull themselves up on a wall right there on the edge and they grin at me. And honestly, it makes me want to throw up. It makes me want to be sick because I'm scared that they've gone too near the edge and they will fall off. The best way to not fall off a cliff is not to go near the edge. Christian, we are in a war against our souls. It is not a playground, it's a war. By faith, he will shield us. By his spirit, he will help and strengthen us. By his grace, he will restore us. 
don't play too near the edge. There's a danger as I say that though, and this is where the self-balancing part of Peter's instruction comes in, and Dave touched on it last week, that in order to abstain, we're tempted to retreat. We withdraw and separate ourselves as Christians from the world around us. We can make choices that put as much distance between us and the world as possible. We stay so far from the edge, we lose the view. We can't taste that air. We lock ourselves away. And yes, we're distinctive, but boy, are we distant. So distant. Be careful as you stay away from the edge that you don't reject God's call on our lives explicitly here in verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans, the unbelievers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We are not called to retreat or withdraw as we abstain from sinful desires, but called to live such good lives among unbelievers that it's a reason for people to turn to Jesus. Such good, not a little bit good, or occasionally really, really good. The goodness is such that even when you are accused of wrong, people will see that goodness, such goodness, and they will glorify God on the day that he returns. In Matthew 5, verse 16, Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Christian, you are to be known within the world, not just for what you are against as you battle to abstain from sinful desires, but also and arguably more so for what you are for. And so gaining a reputation for good deeds and character that shines so brightly because of God's light in you and through you. The temptation is to wage war against the culture, fight hard against the world, take issue with the issues. And sometimes that's right, but it's always right that we let people know what we are for by showing it in all kinds of goodness. It's a fruit of the spirit, right? That we don't just argue for justice, but we show it. We don't just stand rigidly for truth. We live it out. The late Tim Keller talked a lot about this, and he drew it out for Christians living in the world today, using God's message to his people exiled in Babylon. In Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 7, it says this, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Last week, Dave highlighted that part of our identity is as a royal priesthood, and our role there requires us to pray. We are often quick to fight and slow to pray. Pray for your neighbours. Pray for our city. Pray for our country. Pray for our world. Join us on Wednesday this week. We pray for mission together. There is a permanence and a faithfulness required of us in our witness. It's not that we're to tolerate the world while staying as separate as possible. 
No, we are called to live such good lives and embed ourselves in the world around us, seeking the peace and prosperity of the places where we find ourselves in God's will. The impact of this type of living will be that people turn to Jesus. Because of the impact of Christians on the society around them, so get stuck in and be aware of the daily battle. Avail yourself of daily grace and respond to persecution with consistent goodness. Run towards those who aren't Christians. Spend time with them as people, as friends, not projects. And pray for the Spirit's power to help you to do such good. Okay, so... As we submit to the lordship of Jesus in our battle against sin and show his authority in our lives by pursuing his goodness as a defining characteristic, this leads us to think about what else we are called to in relation to submission. We can't be in the world in the way that we've just heard about if we constantly reject the structures of authority that God has ordained for us. In this next section, we look at what it means to embrace our freedom and submit. Our passage calls us to submit to every human authority. And yet, as exiles here, our first citizenship is in heaven. So with God as my king, why should I? Why should I submit to the governments and authorities of the world, especially when so many are corrupt and reject the authority of the God to whom we belong? And how can I be free and submit at the same time? Let's read those verses from 13 to 20 together. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, honour the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. There are some patterns in these verses and some tensions here too that we need to work through in order to build a full understanding of what it means to embrace our freedom and submit. In verses 13 and 18, we get the commands to submit. Submit yourselves to every human authority. Submit yourselves to your masters. And within each command, we're given an exhortation that explains and supports that command. Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority. Slaves, in reverent fear, submit yourselves to your masters. And again, in verse 19, we're told that it's a gracious or a commendable thing to endure unjust suffering as those who are conscious of God or mindful of God. This is important because our submission to authorities, be that governments, rulers, law and order, immigration officers, tax officers, employers, line managers, bosses, teachers, head teachers, we could go on, right? Our submission to these authorities is required under the authority of God. We are to submit for the Lord's sake. The Lord is exalted higher than the human authority. Let's get that straight. 
Our submission to earthly authority flows out of a greater, more glorious submission to God's authority. That's the battle we're waging, remember? His lordship in our lives. Okay, so here we are. Whenever you are able to submit to worldly authority, even when it's bad, whilst being mindful of God, under his authority and for his sake, then you must. Let me do that again. Whenever you are able, whenever you are able to submit to worldly authority, even when it's bad, whilst being mindful of God, under his authority and for his sake, then you must. Let's work this out through the example of God's people in exile in Babylon, in the early chapters of the book of Daniel. Daniel and his friends are chosen by the king and they throw themselves into the kingdom to which they are exiled. They resist some things that compromise God's law, the food laws being a good example in the first chapter of Daniel. But mindful of God and for his sake, they submit to the authority of the king and his court in all other aspects. God blesses them and causes them to flourish. They learn the language and the literature. They embed themselves in the culture. He gives them wisdom and they progress in the context of that culture. They take elevated positions in a foreign system of authority whilst being mindful or conscious of God. Fast forward a little while, and Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're ordered, along with the rest of the kingdom, to give not just their allegiance or devotion, suddenly and problematically, they're ordered to give their worship to this king. That would mean for these guys that they would need to shift the lordship of their lives from Almighty God to human king. They cannot rightly submit to this authority for the sake of God, and so they stand firm. They feel no need to fight, revile, or defend themselves. They explain calmly and clearly that they serve a better king. They know that they are chosen and hope-filled children of God, belonging to him and set apart for him. They stand firm to declare his praises and do good. Christian, your identity before God because of Jesus means that you are free, free to submit to authorities. You do not need to right every wrong. You do not need to clear your name. You do not need to defend your position. There's a freedom that flows out of our status and submission before God as citizens of his kingdom first. Freedom to pursue the peace and prosperity of the city where we live, doing good for his sake as we journey home. Freedom to stand firm in the name of Jesus when an earthly authority over you is opposed to him. We know the end of the story, right? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are thrown into the fire. It's a punishment. A fire so hot that the king's soldiers perished as they approached it. God protected his children. He stood with them in the flames. Three men were thrown in. Four walked around inside that furnace. And when the three came out from the flames, they didn't even smell of smoke. We will suffer. We won't get thrown in a fire, probably, hopefully not. But we will suffer. And verse 20 says, it's a gracious, commendable thing to suffer for doing good. Not for doing bad. If we do bad, we deserve to be punished. That's why God institutes authority in society, to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. 
even if the authority is bad, you don't get to be. If you've got a lazy boss, don't be lazy. Do such good. If everyone else is fiddling their taxes, don't fiddle your taxes. Do such good. Whatever your example, wherever you are, when the earthly authority figure is imperfect, don't respond with the same spirit, but submit under the lordship of Christ and do such good. However, when we suffer for doing good, it proves our identity as we live under the lordship of Jesus. As we live as exiles together, living stones being built into the house of God, strong and steady as the church of Christ. As we look different from this world around us, standing for him and doing such good, we will suffer. You will suffer. You will be treated unfairly. You will be rejected. Your difference will be mocked and you'll feel pressure to compromise and conform. To some degree, if we don't see this, we should feel challenged that we are losing the war being waged against our soul. Not for it, against it. If we are not different as exiles in this world, we need to recall our identity and submit to the Lordship of God. This suffering for doing good, it'll happen across social media. It'll be in your Snapchat and on your WhatsApp. It'll happen in casual conversation and it'll happen in the corridors and the classrooms. It'll happen with colleagues. It will happen with friends. It will happen with family. It'll happen with bosses. Some of you right now, you're suffering at the hands of your bosses. Some of you right now are being treated unfairly for doing good, for speaking truth, for living under the Lordship of Jesus. When you endure, not if, when you endure, it is a grace-filled, commendable thing. It is a sign of your identity, and it is evidence of your freedom in Christ. Galatians 5 verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Reserve your fear for the Lord. Submit to him as creator, sustainer, and king and father. Don't fear the judgment or opinions of men and women in the world. Submit to authority for the sake of him and do such good. Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Peter, the guy writing this letter, he was a rebel. He was reckless and passionate and aggressive. He fought for Jesus. He lashed out for Jesus. He cut off a soldier's ear in the garden as Jesus was being arrested. And then he also crumbled under the fear of man. He denied Jesus three times in fear of his life. But he was lovingly welcomed by the risen saviour, restored for service under the authority of the king of kings. Look at the work of the spirit in his life as he writes to us here. Look what Jesus has taught him and continues to teach us. As we close, follow in the steps of the Son. In verse 21, it says this, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Follow the steps of the Son who submitted to the Father. Follow the steps of the Son who entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In freedom, he submitted to the ultimate perfect authority, God himself. Follow the steps of the Son who suffered unjustly. He did not retaliate. He made no threats. He told no lies. He committed no sin, which is why Jesus could bear our sins in his body on the cross to win the war for our souls, that we might wage the war against our souls, the war of submission and obedience, the war for righteousness, for such good. He brings us near. He stands with us. He watches over us in the war against our souls as the overseer of our souls. He gives us himself and guards us with his unrivaled power. He gives us each other to journey this exile together, to lift each other's heads and point each other to him. Now, I'm very aware that I've spoken to Christians a lot today. I've even given you a collective name, Christian. It's because these commands and truths, they flow directly out of our identity as Christians. If you're not a Christian here today, follow in the steps of the Son. Put your trust in the one who bore your sins in his body on the cross to win the war for your soul. Talk to the person you came with. Talk to a Christian friend, or please come and see me today. You can become a chosen, hope-filled child of God simply by coming to Jesus, turning from your sin, choosing him as Lord, and following in his steps. Bridge Church, in the context of who we are in Jesus, of exiled living, in the context of submission to authority and unjust suffering, in the context of doing such good, you do you. Let's reclaim it for Jesus. You do you. You are a chosen and hope-filled child of God. You belong to him. You've been set apart for him. You have received great mercy and are walking in his light through a dark world, declaring his praises and doing good on your journey home to him. Let's pray. Thank you, Father God, that we are who you say we are. Thank you that you have placed us in your will here in the dark places of this world, that we might shine brightly for you declaring your praises as we gather and encourage one another as your people, doing such good as scattered people through the week. Help us as we wage the war against sinful desire. Remind us of your good reign and rule in our lives. Teach us to submit to you when sinful desires wage. Keep us sober-minded and away from the edge. Teach us to submit to every human authority out of the freedom we have as your chosen, hope-filled, home-bound children. Teach us to follow in your steps, King Jesus, as we journey home to you. Help us as we consider these things 
as we listen for your voice of encouragement and instruction, as we respond in praise and worship. Amen.